things are. So when we, whenever we go and ask him, he just opens this. Okay, go and look this class. Go and look this class. Something does, like that. So doesn't he make that like write it down and make it public within the team or like does a does a knowledge transfer or something? No, no, there was no such. I mean, uh, uh, if so, if I was yeah. No, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I was new to job, so I didn't know anything about uh, co- uh, the, not much about clean code and maintainability and so on. But it was that's the case uh, for for that come uh, i mean in that phase the person who's asked to change he's the guy you know he's the best guy and uh, we always have to go to that guy to get something to know and uh, it was all reside on a few set of minds so that's kind of bad right i think i have seen this a lot in the industry this i think is called uh, job security through uh, obscurity right you, you yeah 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 i mean i mean there were instances his i mean some of the people job security was secured in extra miles i mean there were some instances of people who left the comp- company but they were took back to the company after years because of this reason i see yeah mm that's interesting Okay, yeah. uh, I want to get to that, but first, uh, for those of you who have joined, uh, today we are basically talking about code bases and the reason uh, we decided to have a separate Sunday special is that I know a lot of you guys are at home and we are on lockdown and there's nowhere to go. I was thinking maybe this is a good time for us to learn something from each other. And um, Anjani is late today, so I thought I would open up the... Uh, flow for some additional people to talk a little bit before we start um so anjan was uh, sorry uh, ashan was just talking about how um, how complex code bases sort of ensure tech leads and senior engineers job security because they are the only people who know it and they also sort of maybe sometimes intentionally or unintentionally encourage this by not sharing information so that everybody has to come to them to understand these uh, these large code bases um i am going to uh, invite a few of you to um, to to speak whoever feel like speaking just uh, you can say something i'll just start adding some of our regulars Hey, how's it? Good afternoon. Hi, Suru. How are you? <laughs> good, good. How are you? Ah, uh, good day, Asin. So, how is how are you guys doing with this uh, lockdown situation? Um, things are pretty much the same for at least me personally, because uh, I I don't uh, I mean as software engineers we are. kind of uh, we've been working from home since uh, last year no so in that regard nothing has changed even uh, other than that uh, i'm not much of a person uh, who likes uh, going out a lot so <laughs> i don't really have a problem i am also similar so i think this this pandemic has really not badly affected people who are introverts i'm also somebody who likes yeah, to stay exactly. home i don't really go on trips so much 
I just watch something on TV or read something. So exactly. Over this weekend, I'm I'm learning to write a compiler. <laughs> so like uh, there's a language called uh, PL zero. It's a precursor to Pascal, I think. So there's this uh, online uh, guy has written an article who knows compiler theory about uh, how do you write a lexer first and then how do you write a parser and then code generator. So I'm uh, following that series and trying to write a, uh, a compiler that converts uh, this PL zero to compilable C. Cool, cool. Uh, anyway, um, uh, what else is going on from your side or anybody? I was just going to tell Hasita that's how I decided. Like that, his kind of hobbies are what uh, made me realize that I will never be a proper programmer. <laughs> <laughs> but but you do have that background, right? If I remember correctly, even though you are in, uh, you are, are you still in the BA side, or are you like managing am, a team? Right, right. I am. Uh, so uh, let me put it this way: uh, managing a team, but pretty much in the BA side. Uh, so. Currently work as a product manager, but like okay, so this, I mean, up until lunch and comes, I guess like, so I was going to go into computer science and engineering, up until like the final years came and did a presentation, and then I realized like so one guy turns up and says, uh, yeah, so my final year project was to like build this new OS. Uh, it's not a big deal and it's not as flashy as like what the others have done, <laughs> and I'm like. <laughs> Right, <laughs> so we'll stop it there, and I'll just go and do like whatever I do. But was that actually the case? I mean, I also sometimes felt that other people are doing all these fantastic things, and uh, uh, I always felt like I wasn't good enough as well. Yeah, I don't know. I guess like I mean, uh, when you are into something, you anyway learn things, right? Like so, I mean, I never thought I will be a BA. uh that was not even in the cards like we didn't even know what a ba is but ended up being a product manager so maybe if i took it up i would have ended up being a program <laughs> who knows <laughs> yeah that's true i think a lot of uh, programmers have this uh, imposter uh, syndrome no matter how uh, good they are they kind of uh, feel like it's not enough that's true that's true yeah. So I was. And even uh, go ahead, Isuru. Go ahead. Oh no, no, I was agreeing with Kulendra. Like I love programming. Uh, even uh, I do it all the time when I when I have free time, like watching videos and all that, because uh, like I enjoy it. But I I don't think I'll ever go uh, like that, like low level, uh, like uh, creating a compiler or programming languages or all this. Actually, Suru, it's like you shouldn't let it intimidate you because I was the same place where you were. So when I mm. was in university, I was not considered one of the better programmers at all. There were a lot of people who were better than me. I always struggled. Uh, only into a few years in my career at Millennium IT did I actually got good at writing code. Even even like I my my career was actually even set back a little bit because I was not a very good coder in the beginning. uh but as you learn thing take it little by little so even if it's assembly if you start with a small hello world program it's not that hard then you learn a little bit about like a uh, the the assembly codes for interrupt handling you do a little bit then you learn to write single byte to like uh, 
some sort of output then you learn to read a byte from the keyboard before you know you are writing half a os so the problem i think is when you look at this whole project as one thing it looks like a monster what do you think yeah i i i i i agree i i think uh, you are right uh, even uh, even like uh, even at high level when you are when i am dealing with like high level uh, programming languages and and all that i actually uh, uh, just uh, uh, yesterday there was a um, there's this thing called akurukon is basically there's a, a collect uh, like a non profit uh, organization i think called uh, akuru collective here in sri lanka that they are mainly focused on uh, like uh, breaking languages like single tamil uh, into like the digital realm mm-hmm. creating new fonts like focusing on typography they uh, held this uh, con- uh, conference talk uh, it had uh, one session yesterday uh, there was a doctor dr nandasar uh, who was uh, like a, a very key person in bringing this uh, uh, sri lankan like uh, the alphabet into a uh, computers uh, he gave a talk uh, to, uh, yesterday mm-hmm. and i was watching that uh, he he was uh, he was explaining the effort that he took to solve these problems uh, to uh, like he was programming in assembly and all that uh, uh, working uh, with uh, bios and all that i was uh, wondering like we have all these uh, blazing fast machines ids super powerful high level languages and uh, it, it can feel like uh, uh, what i am doing right now is like it doesn't matter much but uh, i understand like taking in uh, a problem like in, in small chunks uh, can uh, it, it, it's a better approach to take you know yeah yeah trust me isru half the i think majority of people who work in sri lanka feels this way now i i work with occasionally with russian and ukrainian programmers the way they talk about things incredible they can actually visualize the stack and tell you okay when you do this here's the stack pointer like that it's frightening at first but this is not magic you can anybody can learn this it just takes some time um, so on that note i think um, let me get started uh anjana might be busy somewhere so let's start i think what you guys said is also important like this large code bases and how they can be intimidating um shall i start with uh, the thing that i wanted to say sure hasita yeah please go ahead all right all right so the largest code base that i have worked on believe it or not was 100000 lines of c++ and when i i obviously had another senior person who was working with it on me i was not the primary person most of the code had already been written um but when i started on it i was probably um 24 years old probably 24 years old um and what this system it was called exchange manager uh, kulendra will know what this is Uh, this is basically a system for a exchange like a stock exchange to manage all the reference data by reference data i mean non transactional data like users stock symbols uh, which we call instruments and markets right so you can create them you can delete them update them list them so that was the idea it's an administrative uh, front end 
and the part that i am talking about is the back end for it uh, and these days it was not uh, uh, json no we didn't have these things it was not http based the front end directly connected to the back end using a tcp connection and the messages that were exchanged between the front end and uh, back end were not json uh, not dynamic they were binary packed messages uh, if anybody knows what google protocol uh, protocol buffers are it's very similar uh, fixed size fields put together into a fixed size message right um, so um, here's the other part about not having dynamics now since we were catering to various different types of exchanges in various different countries each stock symbol entity had different fields like hundreds of different fields were there um and we couldn't write code for each new uh, exchange so what this system did was something incredible you could create not just instances of these entities you could create a definition saying okay for let's say um london stock exchange uh equity stock stock equity stocks will have these fields so johannesburg stock exchange will have these hong kong stock exchange will have these and when you create that entity internally what this backend does is it generates a sql query a ddl query basically a create table query and runs it dynamically creates a table and if you add a new if you add a new field it runs an alter table add column so back then uh, millennium it this was at millennium it they actually had a patent for this it was called uh, business innovation dynamically bid uh, so i was working on this backend uh, you guys uh, so far with me i hope uh, people who have the mic any question yes, yes, right yeah, you okay cool cool um so like i said 100000 lines of c++ and here's the interesting part i will tell you something that will make you realize one large code bases are not intimidating and two trying to make some of the things that we do to try to make them less intimidating can make things complex and some of the bad patterns we talk about may not be bad at all so the way this code was organized was guess how many classes there are anybody like in this in this 100000 lines of code uh ashan care to get guess how many classes uh i guess 100000 lines should be around 50k classes uh, classes there was one class huh a single class so oh. this is called the if you have heard of the term god object yeah yeah so this is a god object there was a uh, single object and this one had all the functions and the functions were separated into separate files there were like 100 files but there was one class and the entire code base if i remember correctly i don't ever remember seeing a document So all all the C++ um but i managed to get in there fresh out of university uh, with only little help help from my senior i was able to uh, learn for learn it work on it and ac- actively start uh, contributing to it uh, writing even new features uh, and there were no abstractions as well hardly any abstractions a lot of repeating code was there in fact everything was like crud operations uh, most functions were uh, read the variables from the incoming message into memory variables uh, use that to dynamically convert either a select statement or an insert update delete statement 
run it and there were a few validations. That's it. Um, so it worked. I mean, it, it, uh, I worked on it. There were no problems. Um, so that made me realize all these abstractions that we talk about. Uh, sometimes it helps, but it's, it's not a hard and fast rule. Because that code base, it broke all the things, all the best practices that we talked about. Um, but it was so readable, so maintainable, and I'm fairly certain to this day that code base is still there. Uh, what do you guys think? Any questions? Hasita, I do have like a um, interesting way. Like right now, uh, uh, right now with the uh, there's a uh, with the current reactive functional programming way, we are not limiting to one class, but we are now writing a whole logic in uh, one method in our view models without breaking into methods with uh, emitting messages so uh, in the current way what we are doing things in my current workplace we do have one god method now mm -hmm. in the view model so all the distance logic everything is in one um, kind of a uh, what's it? it's more of a, like an init method just to add in data and we pass all the parameters as tuples kind of a way and uh, get information out of it like just one method so i'm not sure whether we are going like uh, like this 70s 90s style coming back to us with functional reactive programming so is it because of the functional part or is it because of the reactive part i i suppose you're talking about a front-end code base right yeah it's a fun i think because of the functional part and um, and with the, with the help of the reactive uh, emitters we could we can do that now interesting i want to because i think you're talking about a mobile front end isuru is also yes. a, like an expert in mobile okay. isuru do you have any thoughts about that because i don't i'm i'm not a mobile expert uh, isuru if you know about point free and uh, rx swift you might know this pattern uh, ashan uh, you mean uh, point free that uh, that uh, the the two guys composable architecture they are uh, yes exactly yes the com com right. uh, composable architecture I, I couldn't uh, like uh, it's a subscription. Uh, as a, uh, video yeah, it's piece, a subscription. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Expensive, yeah, yeah. so I couldn't. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to, but uh, I I haven't uh, checked it out yet. Um, yeah. uh, what's that other one uh, you said? Uh, is it uh, uh, RX Swift? I I personally haven't uh, worked uh, with uh, any reactive uh, uh, okay. frameworks. Yeah. So I am not really. I, I did uh, some uh, maintenance work for a, a project written in uh, Reactive uh, Swift, the other lesser-known okay. uh, reactive uh, framework in iOS. But uh, other than that, I don't have a lot of uh, yeah. experience in that. Yeah. Okay. So you sort of like by that. Uh, I mean, Hasita would know about uh, like always know Rx. So by that, we were able to reduce a lot of side effects. Uh, we were able to handle our emitters because sometimes emitters were emitting uh, when the the life cycle of the view was uh, what do you call deallocated. Uh, so one interesting way. I mean, so many eyebrows would be raised on this way when you look at the class, but. We do have one method that has maybe around 500 lines in a given stick. Um, I don't see that as a bad thing. 
I know you're a fan of uh, like one class seeing ah, 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 oh no 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 <laughs> oh, no it's just that uh, it's just that to me here's how I look at it Ashan um, the enemy of this problem is not necessarily size but complexity so let's say now these functions that I talked about this exchange manager some of the functions were like several hundred lines of code long but relatively repetitive like you'd have a message message dot get message dot get message dot get like 20 lines there after that uh, some sort of loop very similar pattern like recurring patterns so when you look at the code it's understandable but if you had 100 lines of code and everywhere you look within those 100 lines each block was doing something completely different then it's complex yeah. does that make sense yes um, exactly. Ah, which reminds me of another thing. Um, uh, guys, feel free to, I think uh, Anjana might be occupied. Uh, so feel free to all of you guys, anybody who wants to jump in and talk, today's your chance. Just uh, just raise your hand, I'll ping you in. Um, yeah, no, 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 please, please. Our, our format is always interrupt driven, not polling driven. So <laughs> always uh, talk right, over yeah. each other, no problem. That's great. That's, uh, I just wanted to understand uh, the, the particular uh, source code that you mentioned was written in a single file. Uh, the level of uh, changes that uh, you were accommodating at that time, uh, was it frequent or really? Uh, how, how probably that ah, probably will play a role as well, right? It's very frequent, but it's not one file, one class, but the uh, I don't know, in C++, you can actually have the functions in separate classes, uh, separate files, uh, even though, in them, yeah, yeah okay. I think okay. in other other programming languages, you call this something like partial classes or something. Mm. Um, but changes are very frequent, very frequent. Okay. And, and the other question that I wanted to ask is that, uh, what if there are redundant code means written, something that you mentioned, uh, a letter part of the point that you were discussing, that the get message or some some uh, piece of code were uh, redundant across the code uh, code base or other particular implementation. Uh, how that has been challenging to you? So it it never it... was so. So back then, this was I'm talking about 20 years ago. So my senior at the time, he maintained the code very cleanly, meticulously, but he never made an attempt to see code that is repeating and uh, try to put an abstraction over it. So what he did though, since the code was very nicely written in a uniform manner, if you wanted to change an implementation, you can basically do a find and replace. It was like that. Okay. So, then again, I'm relating to what uh, I mentioned before, that uh, in terms of onboarding a new resource or new engineer to take over this work, uh, has it been a challenge or? It was not a challenge at all because like I told you, I was not the best coder at the time and they put me in there and I did just fine because when uh, when he... So these abstractions also, Shamal, this is something I think. In addition to understanding the code, you have to also understand now the abstraction now. Yeah. So here there was only code that actually did the work. Uh, so yeah. once you learned a few functions, all other functions are very similar. Yeah. So it's pretty flat. In that sense, yeah. In that sense, I mean, we don't really have a justification why we uh, see that as a bad practice to have all of these code in that single place. 
because you haven't faced any challenges there's no re- i mean there's no problem for you to resolve there huh? that's exactly right that's why i think there's a saying uh, duplication is better than the wrong abstraction so we engineers we see it and we think oh i see this everywhere let me try to write a like a common thing and reduce this repetition sometimes that's not the best thing to do uh, sometimes also hasita we always overlook this duplication right i mean i remember like the, the dry principle can we broken into the the duplication and the duplication can be broken more into intent of doing this duplication um can i ask a question is it for dry, me yeah 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 just just <laughs> rhetorical <laughs> no, don't worry <laughs> Uh, this is the kind of question that Anjana usually asks. Why dry? Don't repeat yourself. Is that valid? I mean, we, we think it's important because we hear a lot of senior and highly smart people saying it. But is it valid? Hasita, uh, I'm, 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 I'm going to give this answer, but you know from where this answer is going to come from. I always uh, rely on the intent uh, of that question. Uh, duplication i have to look rather than just looking at the logic of the uh, duplication we need to look into the why also this duplication happened in most of the cases sometimes uh, we we could have the same logic and the same lines but for different intents ah yes 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 actually let me make a qualification um they did have utility functions like if you want to for example in um, in uh, the stock exchange world there are certain financial calculations you have to make like calculating interest so that thing you don't duplicate that you have a utility function and reuse it yeah uh, what they don't do is um, let's say you have different uh, requests like um, in the in the rest api world you have different different route handlers no so yeah each route handler will have its own code and there will be no shared code between different route handlers so there will be business logic functions that are that are common yeah that's uh, exactly right. uh we have pandula on the stage as well pandula you want to hi hi yeah hi hi yes so uh, something that I, that i always were like curious about like so in the mid code base like how did you guys like make sure that the concurrent features works as expected like uh, there won't be any deadlocks or data races like two two threads won't try to write the same thread, uh, same data structure at the same time like how did you guys make sure that uh, everything will run smoothly in terms of like concurrent data concurrency right um yeah so if you take this example um uh, if i remember correctly this uh, this thing was primarily single threaded at least the uh, part all the all the database connections were made by a single thread and the messages came through a queue uh, in memory queue right so the so the database inserts and updates always happened in sequence um that's why right. and if there were other actually this is the only only component in that system that actually effectively wrote to the reference data tables in real time so i think maybe the writes are not like frequent as the exchange like the actual exchange right yes yes right so the other cases uh, if if there were cases there was always the transaction uh, going on so as a transaction until you commit 
you can't continue with another one right <laughs> so like 20 years ago i think even c++ wouldn't have the features that it has today for like all the you know say security mechanisms um i think you are in a better position to answer that than me because i have been uh, out of date with c++ for about 10 years now all right are there any language features like unusual language features uh, i actually don't know i mean i have read that uh, like most of the even the microsoft world that uh, the bugs that they are finding now most like memory related issues like uh, like security concerns where you know two threads trying to write uh, each others uh, data structures so, oh, so i mean reading uh, about that has nothing to do with the programming language right threads if you are working yeah, yeah, threads it's, it's, Concurrency. It's like a, it's like a developer issues, like uh, you know, like yeah. a human issue. Right, right, right. So you mean features that make these problems uh, less complicated? Uh, so I've been reading in like Rust. I've been reading about it uh, sometime now. So it has this ownership model. Uh, only one thread can borrow a writable access at one time. So it has some nice features like that. So you won't like have any data erasers or anything. so does in rust you don't have to do a, like a you don't have to declare a mutex and lock it and then access and unlock it it's automatically uh, that's that's how i understand it uh, for now <laughs> right 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 so in go they use this uh, concept of a channel and go routines yeah so in in go you don't have threads you have a version of a thread called a go routine and uh, the 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 concept in go is that you don't share data you communicate yeah there's this like quote in go that says uh, don't communicate by sharing memory uh, share memory by communicate that's exactly the quote yes yes yeah. so you have this channel like a queue you put things into the channel and the the, the go routine in the other end takes it back from the channel so there's no share yeah. data and in uh, i think in PHP, this is never a problem because each PHP request runs in its own thread, right? Completely isolated. And in Node, Node is obviously single-threaded, so every time it's a, it's a single thread running, and uh, when there's a database access or something, it's async. So that request is waiting until the other response comes. So there's again no no connection between yeah. things. I think Java also has uh, running in this entirely separate. I actually don't know how it works. Uh, Java, you can have threads. In Java, also you have to have locks. Is there anybody who is like a like a expert in Java here who can speak to threads? Has it? Is it the same thing? Uh, Call actors. We are we are trying to use now. Oh, uh, actors are something else. Um, oh. Underneath, I think so. There's a there's a framework called Akka. I remember using it basically, but underneath yeah, I yeah, believe it's, threads, it's but, a car, car. Yeah, yeah, but but I can't uh, I can't remember how it works now. Yeah, I mean uh, I mean uh, from iOS fourteen they introduce uh, actors for Swift also now because mm-hmm. uh, it's I mean Swift itself becoming more uh, it's not becoming only limited to mobile and looking more areas to uh, mutate so. Uh, that's that's with these offline capabilities. We also do have these issues with uh, data erasers. So actors were introduced. I'm I'm counting fingers when I can use it in a public code or production code. Nice, nice. 
But again, at the end of the day, no matter what, these also actors are also an abstraction, right? Underneath, it has to be something like a thread because operating yes. system only gives you two things for running: processes yeah. and threads, nothing else. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, previously we, I mean, even in Objective C, we threads, uh, we handle our threads man- manually. Like we we forcefully set, set to run this uh, this thread or create a new thread or run this in background. I guess from that, it's more of uh, we we becoming more high level. I guess. Hmm. That's true. That's true. So this high level thing also is a another thing that adds complexity. So we add abstractions, thinking it's going to be simpler. But some, then you start in, end up uh, under, other than understanding the system, you start understanding these uh, abstractions. So something happened to me a long time ago. Um, I won't tell you the exact thing because I want to protect the guilty parties. So there was a code base. Um, it was written in Java. And when you start reading it, uh, you want to find a place where they actually append to a certain type of file, like a certain file is maintained in a certain format you want to find the line of code where you append to that. Now I start looking at this. Um, you go through the request handler and you find a factory. And uh, what kind of objects does it create? Uh, a type of adapter, like a file writing adapter. So no, it's like IO adapter. So you are, go inside there, it goes to the adapter interface. Inside the adapter interface, you have the adapter implementation. And adapter implementation inside there's a file handler interface. Inside that there's a file, and you go through all these abstractions. Finally, you find inside the file concrete implementation there's a single line saying uh, file dot append. So the number of lines here, like uh, the constructors, all these uh, overrides and everything, about 30-40 lines of code, all covering up this single line of append. So that's also a also, another in your attempt to make the code simpler and understandable, you have made it actually more difficult. Yeah, I mean, too many layers, right? It's like onion there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the same way, Hasita, like something I found, I mean, this is something going a bit away from this abstraction. Like right now, uh, when, I, when we did, uh, we had a huge recruitment for mobile developers in my current company. When we did uh, the interviews, what I found out was uh, the more we, the more the abstraction layers coming out, people are not knowing the underneath layers, like even how the thread works or how these uh, the emitters work. Uh, so I think this this become the abstractions are good when it's come to getting something done. But uh, I I think with that the nowadays people are uh, losing the interest of this concrete implementations. Have you faced anything like that in your interviews? Every day, man. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I am. Yeah, I mean, some of us are trying to start this movement of back to basics, rather than learning all these libraries and uh, frameworks. You learn the basics underneath them, then that you can that enables you to understand all these frameworks in one go. Uh, Shamal, you might have some thoughts about this since you have some experience. Yeah, I do agree with you, Sita and Nashan, as well. I mean, on the fact that the yeah, abstraction, of course, it is needed in terms of uh, protecting the internal implementation. That's the purpose of using it. But at the same time, as you mentioned, it's, unless you know what's exactly going behind the scene, um, it's really hard for you to tackle some of the uh, 
uh, unseen challenges that you might face later on. That's I have experienced as well. I mean, most of the people right now, I'm coming from a Java background, and to answer one of the questions that uh, I'm predominantly, I'm used to be, I would say, uh, Java, yeah, it's a thread-based thread uh, mechanism that you have, but now they have this non-blocking uh, IEO, asynchronized or the reactive programming. Uh, Do they adapter. still use yeah. Uh, synchronized? Yeah, they, yeah, still uh, predominantly it's synchronized, so the concurrent thread model is being used because if you want to shift into the other one, it's uh, it's a new invest, investment. I think uh, there are some other better option you have more than Java. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, because it's a bit cumbersome and it's a lot of effort uh, if you are to write in Java compared to some other languages that I, what I have seen, mm -hmm. especially within Node.js. And yeah, I mean, uh, nowadays, what I have seen, especially, is the one of the input to others as well who can get benefited. So they who are coming from, especially what I have seen in the Java background, so they don't really know how the JVM, GC, trade model, class loaders, how they, these are working. But they are very good using the Spring framework. Mm. But then again, if you come across a rainy day, you are struggling because you don't really know what is going underneath. That's true, that's true. And I have seen people, I have seen the opposite. People who uh, only know the basics. They have never used Spring Boot. Uh, little bit of Java, but they have worked a lot with like C++ and various things. They know HTTP very well. They come in and they just read the, the Spring Boot documentation and they pick it up very quickly. Exactly, exactly. That's very, yeah, I think I have experienced that as well, who are having a very good foundation, they are catching up with any technology without having any struggle. What do you like, uh, do you interview people, Shama? Yeah, I do, I, I, yeah. I have done more. How yeah. do you normally um, filter out this, filter for this kind of people? What kind of questions do you ask? Yeah, uh, yeah, so me, I think probably one of the person here on the vehicle is, I have worked it as well. I'll tell you, like, I'll, first I'll give you my perception. Right now, what I have seen, most of the people, they have a lot of breadth, but they don't have the depth. Mm -hmm. So, there are many things that I don't know, they know. Mm. That, I, I mean, in terms of the breadth. You mean stuff like, uh, so for example, I hear like, some people talk about this thing about Kubernetes, uh, this, you can do this here, you can deploy pods like this, and I, I'm completely baffled, I don't know this. Or then yeah, you say, like, this Jenkins plugin, <laughs> like that you mean, right? Exactly, exactly, exactly. And so how you can, I mean, yeah, exactly, that's the point. But when it comes to, if you take one of those, which we are familiar, and if you try to get into the depth, they are struggling. Mm. So that, that's the perception that I have seen, especially with the newcomers. Uh, uh, but uh, then again, when it comes to the uh, interview process, what I usually look at the analytic, analytical skills initially, and then the attitude, whether they have the learnability, and then I'm checking whether they have the, uh, the, the foundation or the conceptual idea about the software principles. Right, right, right. Uh, so, so those are very important to me. So only if the candidate is picking those uh, areas, then only I'll be moving into the more tool-related ones, as you mentioned, maybe even a framework. 
So maybe so that's right. my typical approach. Maybe uh, I I I know that you you are have very vast experience on that, and you can actually yeah. I'm similar as well. Actually, I have stopped asking about frameworks and libraries completely. So what I ask is, and I can, I can tell you openly here because if somebody, I can tell you the questions also that I ask because if somebody can answer those questions, they they deserve to join. So I ask about HTTP. Like since you are doing web development, the foundation of the web is HTTP. So you need to understand um, the parts of an HTTP request. How do headers work? Like um, response codes how do they work uh, the the encryption in https how does that work how does the key exchange work those are things you need to learn a little bit so what i do is i ask questions at the basic level if they answer those questions i ask a little more advanced deeper question if they answer that i keep asking more and more advanced questions until i come to, until they come to a question that they can't answer so that tells me where their breaking point is um, then a little bit of algorithms. Uh, we might give them a small coding challenge to uh, write some sort of algorithm, sometimes a simple thing. I have found, Shamal, that sometimes in a, in a coding interview, even the famous FizzBuzz question, I don't know whether you, you heard of it. Not really, maybe you can. Uh, it's extremely simple. You, you'd be surprised how many people get this wrong, like uh, engineers. FizzBuzz is basically to write a function uh, to iterate through the numbers incrementally and whenever you encounter a number that is divisible by um, 3 you print fizz f i is a descent and when you encounter a number divisible by 5 uh, you print buzz b u s z z is z and if you encounter a number that is divisible by both 3 and 5 uh, print fizz buzz that's just uh, you use the modulus operator, no? Nothing yeah. much. Asita, uh, I do have a question for you. Yeah. I'm not trying to uh, uh, put down any any institute thing. Mm -hmm. Have you uh, uh, encountered an ENTC graduate who answered that question where the CAC couldn't? ENTC is electronics. Um. I can't remember now. I haven't uh, interviewed the electronics graduate in a long time, actually. Oh, okay. No, I, I, I have noticed this, like, uh, it, uh, like where you said where some uh, uh, some people have knows these fundamentals and some uh, are always on the abstraction level of uh, frameworks and libraries and the product. They don't know, they know the products and not the technology in a such way. I, I, I have noticed there's a bit of impact on the curriculum also. Where are they coming from? Where are the discipline come coming from? Well, that's absolutely right. Yeah. 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 Um, Ashen, I think uh, probably uh, I really don't want to give an answer to you one, uh, but in my case, I do. When it comes to wine uh, from both the department, I not very. Speaking to those, since you asked the question, nearly 90% coming from there, on the other 10% probably on the, uh, the computer science. But what uh, the your perception is what I felt as well, and something that probably it's not just there. Uh, in, uh, maybe uh, most of the others as well having the perception that knowing tools is helping them to secure the job and they perform well. Probably that's their way. I mean, they have the ability of digging into the concept 
and uh, understand the fundamentals, but probably they don't have more topics of their rather topics more on the road. Yeah, yeah. Think, yeah. And again, uh, Hasib, the interview process that you mentioned is an interesting uh, thing. I mean, uh, since uh, recently I have got bored with this interview process, uh, right? What I have, uh, the things that I have adopted is that I'm asking someone whether the, 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 the most interesting project that, so the application that they have worked in, ask them to explain it, and then I'm building the discussion from that point onwards, uh, the, what's the reasoning for this particular tool or the technology selection and getting into the design related aspects, things like that. If they are not familiar with those, maybe a pressure, maybe I, I might be explaining them to explain a, uh, implementation related to maybe Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, like that. Actually, that's you are right. That's, that's, a, that's an essential part of the interview. Um, the part that I mentioned is not enough by itself. So they're finally a project or I usually ask them what is the project that you have worked on in your past place of work that you feel that you had the most impact on, you're most familiar with and then we talk about that. Yeah, yeah. So the point being, uh, if they you know what they have done, how things are working, I, I feel comfortable that they, they can be deployed in any other areas as well where they have the, uh, I mean, the typical characteristics that we expect them to perform with. Yeah. We don't really want someone to come and build Facebook within our organization, at least at this point, but to perform well. And even if we regret, if we can deploy, yeah, mm -hmm. that probably as, as the interviews as well, probably we need to, because some of the things that I have seen and uh, probably I have heard as well, the interviewer, who has learned that a week before, they're asking that from a pressure. That's also not... Uh, That's not exactly right. Thing. We see that every day. Like, it's... Uh, the interviewer feels like, I think they do it innocently, but they everybody wants to feel clever, no? <laughs> so, <laughs> this... Uh, yeah, you're right. Um, Kasib, I think you had a question. Yeah. Uh, my question is related to abstraction because I have another question which was follow up on GraphQL, but I think this is more relevant for now. So, uh, with regards to abstraction, how do you find the yardstick that we don't uh, fall into over abstraction? Like, for example, Asha was saying about the example of an onion. So, so in case, uh, let's take a modern example uh, like uh, a const. They say to define it where you use it, but we also find uh, that it has been uh, declared elsewhere, maybe in a separate file. So that also some people see as a uh, unwanted thing these days. So how do we find the right balance between it? That's mm. my question. If you take const, where you define const, that is not a matter of abstraction, is it? It's like a that is a kind of duplication i think you want to avoid because the reason you use a const is you don't want to repeat that same value everywhere because if you mistype it that's a problem right let's say it's a string yes so i think if if for that example it is always better to have globally because you want constants to be in one place 
uh, I was talking more about these abstractions like design patterns. Are you familiar with the Java design patterns, the, the gang of five, like yeah. singletons, all these things? So those, uh, I think the yardstick is this. Um, as long as your abstraction doesn't get in the way of understanding what is underneath it, it's okay. Like if you can quickly open up the abstractions, look inside and see at the end of the day, everything is either IO operation, either a network call, a database insert update, a file insert update, or some sort of in-memory data structure like a list or a queue or a stack and algorithm, right? Iteration, selection, uh, sequence. So as long as you can open the hood and look inside and see what's happening, it's okay. That's, uh, that's I don't know whether that explains, uh, answers your questions, Kasip. Hasid, I, I, I do have one, uh, one question for you. When it comes to abstraction and uh, I'm trying to create a correlation between the abstraction and self-documented code. I feel when it have too much abstraction layers also, the self-documenting part of the code itself goes down sometimes. Because yes. there's nothing much to, you can find out with that code. You just maybe have a line or two, you don't know what does it happens. Then that's where you need to write uh, like JS docs or whatnot. Uh, you're right. I have seen this happen in uh, Java and also in Millennium MIT. Once we did this as an example, we wanted to make all the identifiers um, human readable. Like, um, uh, yeah. what's a good example? Like, um, uh, like say number of connection attempts. So that's a full word, right? Full number of connection yeah, yeah. attempts is four words. So, yes. so rather than saying N, we use that. But what happened is when you're doing a, like a, writing a piece of complex logic using those variables, suddenly you look like you're reading a poem. Like long hmm. words, like uh, it, it goes over 100 characters and yeah. it's very difficult to read. So it's a lot better to have a little number called N and on the top like a simple like a line comment saying, number of connection attempts and uh, so this the self-documenting thing it's also a spectrum there's no rule to it one way yeah. is to try to write everything in english and then it becomes unreadable the other way is everything is cryptic and there's no comments yeah and and the same way even this new uh, uh, language features makes some of the uh, self-documentation cryptic also for me like we have so many these uh, I don't know, like out of my like lambda functions and so on, you, you can write a, a set of logic in one line and I I really don't know out of the hand without uh, knowing this language, what does it do even before, rather than rewriting uh, maybe uh, a somewhat line of code on the in the method. Hmm. So lambdas are actually useful. Yeah, it but, is useful. Uh, As example, I said like we can do in one line, but when we code review, some uh, we have to go back and see the, the this Xcode language. What does it does? Ah, right, right, right. So I know. I think I know yeah. what you mean. You, yeah. you can. There are places you have to use a lambda, like for callbacks and stuff like that in asynchronous programming. You have to provide a lambda. But yeah. there are other cases you can just simply use a loop, rather than yeah. using a loop. You just do this fun thing like write, define a lambda, yeah. write a filter, map, and exactly. do all these things, and you have no clue what's going on. Yeah. 
exactly like it's 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 sometimes nice it's cool to write lambdas now mm. and uh, we get in trouble when we do the code reviews and we feel like we are the fool here now yeah 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 i know what you mean so this is uh, you have to write code as stupidly as possible because uh, there's another concept that says um, you should always optimize code for read and not write because you always read code more than you write it no yeah so if you for a programming language or a style of programming um you are you should not make the writing experience pleasurable you need to make the reading experience pleasurable because now this functional programming writing filters maps and all these things at the time of writing it's very fun Yep. but 3 months later when you come back and look at it reading is difficult yeah yeah so sometimes it it's a simple yeah. if loop like a nested if loop uh, sorry for loop is what you need yeah so that i find a dilemma here like as uh, shem mentioned and we used to encourage before that you don't really need to have the comments if you have uh, properly written the code it's self explainable anyone to look at but uh, especially someone like me coming from a java background uh, then we got this lambda filters and streams uh, later on introduced to the language so once you use this now we have a problem of um, understanding the program sometimes unless we are very thorough on this then again uh, the, 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 the let's say that the oracle or anyone would suggest you to adapt this given that the performance enhancement or anything that they would do over the language you improvement later on we would get benefited if you try to do it i mean if, i mean eventually what you're doing is you are reducing the number of lines that you are writing if you use this right there's no any other advantage that you have otherwise mm-hmm. in terms of at the time of writing so now so now now then we have to choose are we going to rely on these and are we compromising the readability or the maintainability eventually or uh, leave it out to uh, i mean the, the, the developers and let them write in a way that it is maintainable uh, and ignoring these language features that we are getting that so is uh, there is no hard and fast rule as i said before i mean best thing is for you to decide by yourself so just because oracle says something or aws says something or microsoft says something we shouldn't listen because those are companies they will always want you to use the bleeding edge um so one good example i think for me was es6 javascript so we were writing a simple function the the function keyword simple stuff but then this uh, fat arrow notation came in various other little notations came in initially we didn't use those um we only started putting them in when we started seeing them being prevalently used in uh, open source projects then we knew our ah, people people are using it so my policy about this new language features is never be the guinea pig you just watch and wait until beca- it becomes a bit mature and then jump in let somebody else be the guinea pig is what i say <laughs> i get it get it yeah um charaka said something this is this actually thank you charaka this is this was the quote i was looking for so the quote about uh, writing code is uh, everyone knows that debugging is twice as hard as writing a program in the first place so if you are as clever as you can be when you write it 
you will be too stupid to debug your own code. Does that make sense? What it says is, debugging programs is harder than writing. So if you write a very clever program, you will be too stupid to debug your own program. Uh, I, I would like to add something which Shamal also uh, added on. So for example, he was talking about streams. So there was a problem that uh, I'm specifically talking about Java streams. So when uh, there was a member who was uh, using all the new features, it was actually good, but uh, due to the performance gains and things like that. But uh, later on, when we started to debug, when we actually had an issue, it was a nightmare. So we had to convert back to the uh, loops and stuff like that, and we had to debug. It was much more easier to understand. That same thing happened to me as well. We also wrote like uh, functional programming, like a pipeline. Functional programming stuff like pipelines, no? So very difficult to debug. You don't know what's happening. Yeah, then uh, again, Hathita, there are enough, I mean, there are tools also, right? I mean, if you are using on top of a framework. There are, but then aren't you married to that framework? Uh, the case, the, mo the moment you take an reactive programming approach on a, on a base or a framework, you are writing your whole application in blood, right, to that framework as everything builds upon that. Actually, in your case, Ashan, I think this is true because front-end programming is a little bit different from back-end programming. Front-end has a certain complexity that backends don't have. So backends yeah. is a server. It just waits until a request comes in. You handle the request and you are done and you send a response. It's very linear. But yeah. uh, front end, it's like constant loop. There's a dynamic person sitting in front of the front end, always poking and pushing and scrolling. Yeah. yeah. So And there are lots of elements that are being displayed at any given time. You have to think mm. about all those things. Whereas yeah. in, a, in a server, you only have to worry about the data that you just received in your request. That's it. Mm. Yes. So that's why in, I think front end, you are right. Like there's so much things that you can't do without a framework. But once you put in the framework, you just have to keep using it. Yeah. And, and that's where, where I love a somewhat of abstraction where maybe uh, there are instances I always encourage an abstraction layer when it's come to a framework or whatnot, because I'm, I'm thinking of, I'm always hoping there will be this uh, judgment day that the organization going to replace this. So I should be ready for that. Mm. So that's where the attraction comes from. <laughs> that's true. I mean, there's nothing out of it. I mean, I have seen uh, from the architect group, okay, we're going to stick to this. This is the future. Uh, we should be on this framework. And then after a couple of weeks, when we come to a fundamental issue, okay, we're going to replace this. And we are in big trouble after that. That's true. That's true. Okay, Jim, an interesting point that you made. Uh, so, so what's the, I mean, uh, I mean, have you been able to convince them back to challenge their decision? I haven't seen that in the first time, just thinking at least someone uh, outside coming from that. The decision that you see that uh, you are not comfortable, but uh, enforced by the authorities, technical authorities for having. <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, Shamal, okay, I'm going to take a, like a different approach on that. I mean, unlike, unlike some companies, uh, okay, end of the day, we are working for another company and uh, 
uh, we there's there's a point we have to fight but there's a point we just have to give up and do what they say and we just need to make sure that uh, that uh, what we have to do is interchangeable we have to engineer that way that's where i feel the engineering gonna kicks in rather than whenever we say to use this x framework rather than just using it we put our heads together and find it a way how we can take this x framework in interchangeable on a on a wrapper way but uh, okay if, if i had any stocks in that company or if i had enough say in it i would i would fight for my death to make sure that would work i right hasita no no that's true that's true um yeah i mean that's i think that's where the our engineering discipline kicks in right like how we can model this what is the framework and how we going to use it hmm so i think we went through something similar long time ago which was um, when we built a mobile application using um, react native and expo oh my you remember God. <laughs> yeah. so i still do that <laughs> ejecting and getting so uh, i think in the past a uh, lot of the a lot of the criticism that was leveled at uh, react native was actually the, the guilty party was expo not react native yeah. so we had a hell of a time trying to uh, remove uh, expo from uh, the mobile application exactly but but that again i i defer to i will beg on that has uh, actually it's not the guilty party expo is not that much of a guilty party on that it just ourselves it should have maintained well i guess so ah no i thought uh, the problem was that the react the the express developers were always way too behind the react releases and we were always having compatibility issues was one of the big problems yeah 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 that's that's true enough but there are more issues uh, on that i mean uh, uh, i mean uh, what i'm asking is if you're using a framework and okay if you're going with the native way and if you're using this frame call uh, called x on your uh, application and you are again relying on frame call y to uh, to make sure everything works well i guess there's a responsibility of uh, uh, a set of people to make sure the time be changes the maintainability comes in because on mobile, mobile development itself if you take a, like a cross platform uh if you if you are going to build a application on top of a cross platform which is a getting derived from a, another native platform the maintainability cost is high i mean you would find the the development cost is low but the maintainability cost is exponentially high on that that's that's an attitude that we need to uh uh accept and the like you know that flutter is coming up there's so much traction with there but then again i mean uh, then again if you look at this frame like react native uh, flutter the, these are not their main product right they are just it could be pet projects of google or flutter could be a pet pet project and one day they would say they will not give support so we have to be ready for that like i mean for me like if i'm going to put my whole career on a on a company i rather put on google or apple not in some like pet project yeah yeah no but there's another way to look at this so one of the ways that we decide whether to be we are going to use an open source library is first we go and look at github and see how many maintainers are there um and how many other projects are dependencies on it you, you can use npm to look at it if you are using something like uh, node js 
um, then look at when was the last update, are they maintaining security updates and are there sponsors who's paying for all this or is it all volunteers and are there any big companies who are relying on this project. So then you know this, this project has a life. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, Anjana, you woke up. <laughs> I woke up. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. We had a we had a good discussion yeah. and. Um, I, I I figured I I joined uh, <clears throat> like two minutes ago and then my headset was dead because I was listening to music. I switched to another and then joined. Right. Cool. right. Anyway, okay. We so have a the, we have a we have a recording. Yeah. Very nice. Okay. So we'll. Uh, so it seems like quite a lot has worked on large code bases. Actually, it uh, segued <laughs> nicely into like. Um, it's like deviated and diversity. Yeah, we we, we hey, talked. I about have that. one thing, right? Yeah. I, uh, the the size of the code base uh, five six years ago, and the size of the code base today are completely. Uh, it's it's not a measurement of uh, size, because what what we built uh, over ten people over a couple of months over a year, maybe something you can just download today and then build on top of it. So the size of the code base today is uh, relatively small because things are all what you download npm libraries to jars, online services. So, what do you guys think of real complexity? Anjan, I I, ha I have seen both of, both sides of it. Uh, maintaining a, a single large code base as well as having multiple ones. I'll share my uh, experience. It's not opinion or other recommendation, anything like that. So, we work for a project which is uh, running close to ten years by that time we were part of it as well, uh, which was done for a, uh, one of the leading UK uh, telecommunications uh, organization. And this code base uh, grew to a level where it has millions lines of code. I'm not sure that Anjana has well had contributed to that too uh, in the uh, past time. Uh, yes, yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> So the problem that they had is these uh, these these guys has uh, I mean the the, uh, the organization uh, basically this is a Java-based project and they had this license agreement within with uh, Sun and later with Oracle mm -hmm. and when it comes out of support we call it EOSL end of service life we will have to adapt new tool stack and accordingly we will have to upgrade the our code base as well. Initially it was started, it started as a homegrown CMS project and eventually grew into a portal application and uh, with uh, around uh, 50 plus applications. Yeah. So what happened then, since it was, a, it was a large code base, this technology upgrade into the new stack usually is taking, I think one year. One and a half. One and a half years. So amount mm -hmm. of investment that they had to do was massive. Then at the to look at that the technology upgrade is continuing for one and a half years. At the same time, BUA application is adding new functionalities. Whereas they know that eventually they as well have to migrate into the new project. 
but still they are continuing with the old stack reason being we had a single um, large code base so there was a huge problem of this technology upgrade and the existing development has to carry this technical uh, debt and that was the concern that we had and then eventually we moved into the modularized approach and then eventually to the microservice later on Mm-hmm. But then again, uh, with the microservices later on, and especially on the DSS, what I have seen is that there are larger applications being developed using multiple um, using multiple repositories for each services as its own repository, as well as its own technology selection. Then again, we are losing the governance by having multiple source repositories for a single application. So yeah, but the Sorry, uh, sorry, so the amount of code that you write, right, and the amount of code what is underneath the that that's a that's a different equation. You know, if you take if you take just the operating system, right, if you take just the operating system, millions of lines of code are written, but when you work on it, your that complexity of millions of code is abstracted to you. That that that's given as a service. The complexity comes when you write stuff on top of that, right? That's that's where my my question was like, back in the days, even if it's a simple ERP, you would write most. Of it. Now now it's more of a complexity <coughs> problem, knowledge problem, than writing tail of right? uh, lines of thousand lines of code. True. Uh, true. I mean, yeah. Uh, this as well, the old application I just mentioned is a build All written, in the spring, yeah, spring, spring framework and the spring framework goes out of support and they are starting out only for new technology stacks from Java, let's say from 1.6 to 1.8. So we are, in, we are forced to upgrade our own one, though we don't need any additional functionality, just to say right. that, <laughs> making it compatible, we are spending around 20 member team for one and a half years. <laughs> A good business, though. No? In, in a way, it's a, it's a good business for the main Yeah, team. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Going back to one of the points earlier, as I mentioned as well, to yeah. the, right. uh, the first <laughs> of the marine to some of the framework tools that we started to say that time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, before, just before you joined, Anjan, we were talking about like the due diligence you have to do before you decide on a framework or a library that you have to go and look at are there enough maintainers, <coughs> are they paid maintainers or are they part-time volunteers? How many other big corporates or big projects are dependent on this? Um, and like how often do yeah, so they you are trying to you are trying to predict the future, which is which is one of the hardest. Yeah, but you can't write everything yourself. No, you have to rely on uh, yes. libraries. You, you have to. But also uh, how I would look at it, you build it in a such a way, certain components, I mean, core components like the database selection is important. But some of the libraries can go out of picture. Most of the front end, front ends are rewritten for first backboard JS, then uh, some other JS, now React JS. So that's changing is also part of the game, right? You you can't predict. But those a things, uh, Anjana, the biggest problem with those frameworks is now if this were a back end thing. You can evolve the code base, but in the front end, mm. if you are using something like now, like a few years ago, I was working on an application written in JS. Now, when we right, wanted right. to move to something else, there was no way out. We had to rewrite. <laughs> no no right. way out. But if we were today using backend, if I was using Express, 
and let's say for some weird reason I wanted to go to something like Koa, there's a way you can evolve the code. Side by side uh, implementation. Yeah, yeah, something can that's be done. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's, uh, it's at the latter stage. Oh, speaking of the latter stage, guys, I am going to add, uh, uh, we are going to give you a method by which you can uh, give us feedback. Uh, we haven't set up a website yet, but we do have a, a LinkedIn group. What I will do right now is I will add that LinkedIn group's link to the the room description or the room description, the club description. Uh, can all of you guys just uh, subscribe there and if you have any questions, just uh, ask on that. Uh, hi, Hasita. Um, I just, uh, I have this uh, question for you to Anjan and who, who is uh, interested. So we, we, we were talking about code bases and we didn't touch the, the testing. So uh, what I feel is like if you don't have the right amount of testing in this understanding, you might end up with a large code base, not the business logic, but with uh, testing also. Because, uh, I mean, since I'm working on the front-end side, there's this one project I'm actively working on. We are in the verge of having more lines of code on testing actually than the uh, lines of uh, business code and the front-end uh, code. Because the, when it's come to permutations that we have to write on unit testing is exponential. And uh, at that one point, we had to take a decision that this 80% unit uh, line of coverage and what needs to be on that unit test coverage has to be go into. What do you think about that, Hasita? Like how, I mean, as for your experience, how can we manage that number of uh, test code? Um, I think having more lines of test code than uh, application code is actually a good sign. And uh, mm -hmm. I, I also think that trying to abstract uh, test code may not be very good. It's always good to have uh, test cases that stand on their own and each does their own thing by, their, by themselves. Yeah. Anjano, you can also chime in, I think. Yeah, I think uh, we'll do a test our view on uh, unit testing, our view on end-to-end -end testing, the number of how to build uh, cases <coughs> on, a, on, a, on a detailed session. Uh, but just to answer your question, what most of the time what happens is people leave organization and you lose a lot of knowledge uh, within them and then things get complicated over a period of time. Is the app that you're working old, uh, Ashad, or is it like a new new application? Oh, no, it's quite new. Uh... It's a it's a, mo a mobile application, yeah. It's a quite oh, okay. Nice. So this is this is a different scenario, right? I'm glad I asked that question. So that's a so you're talking about it's a brand new application. However, you have lot of dependencies. People expect high quality output from that. Hence, you have a large team or large 